following is a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. Join us now as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Things together by the Word of His power, and we have fixed promises from Him. And His Word is perfect, His Word is powerful, and He's going to use it in our lives today. It is my privilege to open up the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God and trust the Spirit of God to use the Word of God in the lives of the people of God for the glory of God. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation comes and a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. And let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We praise you, Lord, that you are in control. We thank you, Lord, that we are not. We pray, Lord, that in this time now you would use your word in our hearts for your glory and our good. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are living in crazy, surreal, unprecedented times. I think I've used those three words more this week than in the last 10 years combined. From the immediate COVID-19 concerns to our inevitable deaths, there is fear, there is worry, there is panic, and it splatters across the spectrum. And one thing I've learned in this crisis and others is that mankind says, we've got this far too often. Now, if it's losing weight, if it's winning a race, I get it. But a pandemic virus? We're told that we need to fight COVID-19. Sounds courageous, but is it accurate? Not if we think we can do what only God can do. We can only do our part. We can flatten the curve, we can find cures, but we cannot fight a virus or find a moment of ultimate control. We live under this illusion of control. It's a mirage. Mankind working together to control predates Babel. Adam and Eve thought they could handle the serpent. Cain took matters into his own hands. We cannot defeat coronavirus. Man couldn't defeat the Black Plague or any other malady that has struck large pandemic proportions of the population. For Christians, God's sovereignty 
and care over our life is our lifeline. It is our comfort. Take comfort in that truth. We serve a king and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And yet, wouldn't we love to change current events? Wouldn't we love to control what happens? Wouldn't we love to manipulate the outcomes? It's in our nature. And God knows, and Ecclesiastes speaks to it. Today we see in Ecclesiastes 1, verses 1 through 11, amidst so much confusion, so much fear, so much unrest, that we are not in control. We trust a sovereign God who is. God is in control. There is only one sovereign. And and when you really think about it, when it all boils down, we do not control or change or manipulate as much as we think. For a Christian is trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross in their place, dying their death, being buried, rising on the third day, coming back with blessing for those who believe, For a Christian, we must trust God's exhaustive, meticulous providence that he is orchestrating all things, that he holds every molecule, every atom, every element together. Now in light of our lack of control and inevitably death, Ecclesiastes tells us what it means to live. Ecclesiastes shows you what it means to live. So I hope from this sermon today, you will get clarity on what it means to live. You will get clarity on who's in control, and you will get clarity on your part in the matter, that you will have confidence in our sovereign God who is control. If you look at the first 11 verses with me, you'll see that it sketches a pointed truth. And the pointed truth is that life is a vapor and we are not in control. Life is a vapor and we are not in control. Now this most honest of books just grabs you right from the beginning, right from the start with shock tactics. The first thing that Solomon says, look at verse two, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now that should wake us all up from pretending. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Solomon, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So what that means is that's vanity everything. That's vanity of vanities. This is like the biblical phrases, heaven of heavens, servant of servants, king of kings, and lord of lords. This is in the superlative, this is supersized vanity. What does vanity mean? Most translations translate the Hebrew habel as meaningless or pointless, But that is not the preacher's perspective. He goes on later in the book to say lots of things. In verse 6 of chapter 4, he says, Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil. So one course of action is better than another. So everything is not meaningless. Habel is more accurately translated breath or breeze or vapor. That everything is a mist. It's a puff of wind and smoke. Psalm 39 tells us this. You have made my days a few hand breaths. My lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Psalm 144 tells us, Lord, what is man that you regard him? 
son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Life is a vapor. It's short. It's elusive. It's repetitive. And we are not in control. We are facing painful and merciful realities here. Moving on to verses 3 through 11, they tell us what we are not in control of. Verses 3 through 8 is a poem that starts off this book. And in verses 3 and 4, we, we notice the first thing we're not in control of. You're not in control of life. Not in control of your life, you're not in control of your family, you're not in control of your family tree. Verse three says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That word gain is from the business world and it's native to Ecclesiastes and it's not cynical, it's not mercenary. Jesus asked a similar question in Mark chapter eight, what does it profit a man? The idea here is you spend your life toiling, you spend your life working hard, you spend your life doing all these things, and what do you have to show for it at the end of the day and at the end of your life? It points to ceaseless living and dying through history. Look at verse four. A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Now many fear death, but death is inevitable, 100%. Survivors are temporary. October 13th, 1972, a Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571 went down the Andes Mountains along the Argentine-Chilean border. On board the Uruguayan rugby team, some friends and relatives, 29 people initially survived that plane crash. In fact, uh, the, uh, the crazy part of the story is they had to resort to cannibalism to survive. There were two members of the team dressed only in street clothes, who miraculously made it over the mountains to get help. So almost two and a half months later, 16 survivors were rescued. They survived a horrific ordeal, but all eventually died. At some point in the future, all of them eventually died. There was a 2014 book called Alive, with an exciting subtitle, here's, here's what the subtitle said, Extraordinary Stories of Ordinary People Who Survived Deadly Tornadoes, Avalanches, Shipwrecks, and More. You, you wanna read it, right? You wanna read all about it. People who survived overwhelming odds. And yet, 100% of those survivors eventually died at some point in the future in their life. We're under a stay of execution, folks. We're sentenced to death. Universal death sentence. I mean, you should live wisely, but everyone dies. 75 million people died in the Black Death in the 1300s. 60% of Europe died. 60 million people die every year around the world. You're not in control of life. In fact, in Matthew 6, when Jesus says three times, don't worry about your life, and he's saying, don't worry about your clothes and your food and all of that, He's getting to the same point that life is a breath. Trust a sovereign God. And what Ecclesiastes is telling us is only in preparing to die do you really learn how to live. Wave after wave of generations rise and fall. They're soon forgotten. Up against the backdrop of the earth, 
things go on. Restless, repetitive. Verses five through seven tell us something else we're not in control of. You're not just not in control of life, you're not in control of the world. And there's three examples here of this endless cycle in nature, the sun, the wind, and the seas. Verse five, the sun rises, the sun goes down, hastens to the place where it rises. In scripture, the sun is a marker of time, refers to now, thinks this side of eternity. And the repetitive nature of life is proving to us the faithfulness of God. You're not in control of life, you're not in control of the world, but God is. Verse six, the wind blows to the south, goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, on its circuit the wind returns. God has it on a track. Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, as you do not know the path of the wind, or how the bones are formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. You're not in control of the world. Verse seven says, all streams run to the sea. Some of them are, um, you know, got a lot of germs in them, right? But they're all running to the sea, and the sea is not full. And to the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. You're not in control of the world. You're not in control of the weather. You're not in control of the streams, the wind, the sun. Psalm 95 tells us, the Lord is the great king, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. And we are living right now in a chaotic world. We're wondering what's gonna happen next. And God is in control. He's in control of life. He's in control of the world. Daniel 4.35 says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does what he wills with the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. No one can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? All things depend on God for their existence and their sustenance, their continuance, and it is foolish for us to criticize his ways. Job said, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. The psalmist said, the Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens, on earth, in the seas, in all their depths. We're not in control of life. We are not in control of the world. And verses nine through 11 tell us we are not in control of outcomes. You're not in control of how things turn out. Look at verse eight. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. I mean, what are we really on a daily basis? Many of us are pleasure seekers and happiness hunters. We want what we want, and we want it now. But as soon as you get what you want, you want something else. We're not satisfied. We're not filled. Here's what Ecclesiastes is doing to you and me. It is undercutting our deepest most selfish motives. Our desire to secure a permanent place, to make our mark, to make a difference. It's telling us only God knows, only God is in charge, only God satisfies. When John Wesley was preaching through Ecclesiastes, 
He wrote this in his journal. He said, I was struck by how connected together it is, all tending to prove the grand truth that there is no happiness outside of God. People, there is no happiness outside of God. You're not in control of life. You're not in control of the world. You're not in control of outcomes. Remember Jesus' question. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his life? Matthew 16 tells us. There's no gain in that. There's no profit in that. So Jesus is making the same point as Ecclesiastes, and he tells a parable. But a land of a rich man that was producing abundantly. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all my crops. I know what I will do. You'll notice the repeating I, 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 me, 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 mine, mine, mine. I have no place to store my crops. I know what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have laid up ample goods for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life, that's literally your soul, is demanded of you. This very life, your soul, this very night, your soul is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is, Jesus says, with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. See, apart from God, you have zero for your toil, zero gain, zero progress. And you think you are getting ahead. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Look at verse nine. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Everything comes and goes. Whatever is has already been nothing new. What do we try to do all the time? We try to, to escape the confines of ordinary existence. We want to arrive at a place where there's no repetition and that permanence settles in. And neither of those things is possible. You can't find a place on earth where there is no repetition and where permanence settles in. You can't find it. So unsatisfied with the repetition in our lives, we pretend that things shouldn't be this way for us on earth. We're better than that, we think. We deserve more. We want something novel that doesn't exist. Look at verse 10. Is there a thing of which it can be said, see, this is new? Now, I like to innovate off of things that are already there, like here, here's a good thing, let's make it better. Uh, there are people that make inventions all over the place. There are Creators are genius people that do all sorts of ingenious things. And here verse 10 says, is there something that you can point out that says this is new? The answer, it has already been in the ages before us. We're stuck on repeat, folks. We're longing for something to break the constant cycle. Something that is truly new and different. But we find nothing. Nothing. No such thing exists. We're searching for something that is non-existent 
this side of heaven. There are many new ingenious inventions all the time. Solomon is not denying the ingenuity of man. But we all have to admit, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Here's what I gotta tell you today, folks. No one's going to remember you when you die. No one's gonna remember me after I die. Think about how we forget famous people so quickly. Now, doesn't this all sound defeatist? Doesn't this all sound just, you know, down in the dumps and depressing? This is the most hopeful and helpful way to live. This is not stoicism. This is not circle of life mumbo jumbo. This is not fate. This is not karma. We are being shown mercifully the weariness of doing so much and getting nowhere. Just think about your daily life. You clean the house, you need to clean it again. You mow the lawn, you need to mow it again. You pull the weeds, you need to pull them again. You work hard, you need to work hard again. You invest your time, you fight battles, and you lose ground. We are not in control of life or the world, or outcome. Sobering, right? Sobering. But also very freeing. Because this can transform your entire outlook on life. Life is a vapor. God is in control. I'm going to trust a sovereign God who is in control. Life is a vapor. And God is in control. Now, does this mean that we control nothing? I mean, you can switch off of this sermon right now. You, you have the remote control. You can just tap on your screen. You can, you can go somewhere else right now. What, what does this mean? Does this mean we can't control anything? Are, are we puppets? Is, are we like marionettes and we're just being moved about? No. We think, we feel, we, we emote, we, we act, we choose. We're made in the image of God. But there is, and, and we've got to just continually understand this, there's a drastic difference between you and God. Now, Ecclesiastes is full of things that people do. Just chock full. So is there anything we can control? You control freaks out there, you're wondering, can't I control something here? Well, there's plenty that we can control. Now, you can't control what's in God's control. But there are some things that you can and really must control. Let me just roll you through some things that Ecclesiastes tells us that you must control, that you can control. I'll give you nine of them. First, you can control your desires. You go into chapter two, and we'll be there soon, but there's this vanity of self-indulgence where you just want and want and want, 
but you can control your desires. You don't have to go after everything you desire. In fact, Philippians 4 tells us, but whatever is good and right and true and pure, think on those kind of things and God's peace will guard you. Joshua 24 says, choose this day whom you will serve. You can serve your desires or you can serve God. So first, you can control your desires. Secondly, you can control your use of time. When you get into chapter three, you'll notice that there is a time for everything and you can control how you choose to use the time God gives you. And we need to remember what James says. Whatever you wanna do, whatever you plan to do with your time, say this, if the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. If the Lord wills, it's an under God kind of attitude in life where you're saying, I'm not my own. I am going to trust a sovereign God. You can control your use of time. Next, you can control your words. You need to control your words. Look at chapter five, Ecclesiastes five, and verses one and two. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they, that they are doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. In chapter 9, verse 17, it says, The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Chapter 10, and verse 12, The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. You can control your words. What you choose to say. Keep a guard over my lips, O Lord, is the prayer. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no unwholesome word or rotten word, unhelpful word, proceed out of your mouth. Only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment. You can control your words. In fact, the inevitable question in times like this always arises. If God is in control, why does he allow things like COVID-19? And people will say that with their words. Why does God allow pain and pandemics? Now, it's a fair question, but we need to realize something. Why does God allow? When you start a question like that, why does God allow? Those questions come across accusatory against God. I'll just answer it straight up. Why does God allow it? God allows things like COVID-19 because he is a loving, good, gracious, merciful, heavenly father. And he knows everything and he knows what he is doing. The creator of the world does not lead the cosmos by committee. So he's not asking for your input on this one. Now C.S. Lewis, when he was writing of the problem of pain, made the observation that we really should be asking why some people are spared. COVID-19 is one more reminder we need God desperately. This world is not all there is. There is a better world coming. COVID-19 reminds us that this world is not right. It is not what God intended. Sin entered the world and with it death. And viruses are a part of the curse and it shows us our need for a deliverer. That everyone needs a savior. That everyone needs forgiveness. That you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That you need to turn from your sins and trust Christ. There is the great exchange. Your sin for Christ's righteousness. You know, God uses everything, including catastrophe, 
to help you see his holiness, his compassion, his perfection, his grace, his mercy, his peace, and his love. And that you would bow before his pervasive and exhaustive and his meticulous providential orchestration of all things. COVID-19 serves God's purposes and we don't understand. God holds all things together by the word of his power. He holds every molecule, every atom, every element together. And with your words, don't fall into the trap of thinking that God should do what you think he should do. Here's what a fool says. If I was God, I would end all suffering. They'd cause more suffering without mercy. You can control your words. What else does Ecclesiastes tell us we can control? You can control your use of money. Look at chapter 5, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Verse 13. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And then those riches were lost in a bad venture. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Jesus said it's more blessed to give and receive. You can control your use of money. What else can you control? Ecclesiastes tells us you can control your heart. Look at chapter 7. Ecclesiastes 7, 21 and 22. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you have yourself cursed others. The Bible tells us, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You can control your heart. Psalm 90 verse 14 says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. You put those two prayers together? You're praying to God, teach me, Lord, to live in light of my death so I can live in light of your love. You can control your heart. What else can you control? You can control your family time. Look at chapter nine, verse nine. A beautiful verse. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that God has given you under the sun. Enjoy life with your family that God has given you. How many people right now are being forced together and they feel like they're being forced together? They're almost resenting the fact that they're being forced together as a family to do things that families do. But how many of you just feel like it's such a blessing from God and a reminder of what's really important? I think the majority of you think that way. Yes, it's not easy to to have your whole schedule turned upside down. But you can control your family time. A couple more. You can control your wisdom. What do I mean by that? Look at Ecclesiastes 10, verse 3. 10.3. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. The idea here is that if you are being a fool, people are going to know. Now, what are some of the things we should do wisely? We should choose to obey governing authorities right now. Whether they're right or wrong, we need to obey our governing authorities as we worship God. And we need to control our wisdom in in thinking this way. So my impact in life is relatively minimal in the macro, can't control life and the world. Can't control 
the, um, the outcomes of everything, but my life can be significant in micro as I walk in wisdom and help and bless other people. In fact, the next thing you can control is your doing of good. Ecclesiastes 8, look, at, look there with me. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 3. Be not hasty to go from God's presence. Do not take your stand in the evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. Verse five, whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing. The wise in heart will know the proper time and way. The idea here is that you ought to do what is good for other people, that you ought to help. Look at chapter 11, verses one and two. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. It's blessed my heart to see so many people in our church helping other people. We need to choose to bless other people. You can control your doing of good. Now think about it, you're not gonna remember a person's name or what they did after they die, but your concern today is how can I bless that living person and help them now? Mr. Rogers said this, when I was a boy, I'd see scary things on the news, and my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. Titus 3.14 tells us to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. You might have come across this this week, it's been circulating, but Martin Luther had some pastoral advice during the Black Plague. Here's what he said. I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict or pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. And I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. And then he said this, see, this is such a God-fearing faith, because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. You can control your doing of good. And one more, you can control your godliness. Go with me to the end of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12. Verse one says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And the last two verses, 13 and 14, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Worship God in his sovereignty and obey his word. And then it says in verse 14, for God will bring about every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You need to choose to obey Jesus, believers. There are some things you're chasing right now you should not be chasing. There are some things right now you should be seeking that you aren't right now. Fear God, keep his command. He is the judge. Worship God. Trust his pervasive, meticulous providence. Obey his word because you need to grasp. You can't control what's in God's control. You must yield control to Christ and control yourself. Think about Solomon's reign as king. As king, his reign was good for the, for the most part, but near the end of his 40 years on David's throne, he failed. His spiritual life declined. The nation of Israel declined. After his death, there was civil war. The kingdom was divided with 10 of the 12 tribes leaving the union because Solomon pursued the nothingness of idols and the nation reaped the whirlwind. 
and he saw it too late to alter course, and his only hope was to repent and leave wisdom via Ecclesiastes. Praise God for the book of Ecclesiastes. That future generations could avoid the traps that ensnared Solomon, and hopefully you will learn from his life, that we will learn together from his life as we continue to go verse by verse through this book. Solomon's wake-up call happened late in life. Maybe your wake-up call happened in the last two weeks. There was grace for Solomon. There is grace for you in Christ. Think about it. The future growth in your life is built on learning from the past. Learn now. Learn now that apart from God, you gain nothing from all your toil. But in Christ, your labor is not in vain. Abide in Christ and you will bear much fruit. So when we say, we've got this, and we say, we can do it, together we can, I'm here to tell you, no, we are not in control of life and the world and outcomes, but we trust a sovereign God who is. Be comforted that God is in control and that you are not, because the pressure is off of you. Just yield to Christ and control yourself. We spend our lives just trying to escape the inevitable. We, we go one thing after another trying to find significance. Every progress of man achieved by the gift of God delays inevitable death. You're not in control. You can't manipulate events. You, you can't just try harder or get angrier. You need to do what Psalm 46.10 says. Be still and know that I am God, God says. Cease striving. Relax. Let go. There is a very gospel-centered reason for that. There is one man death could not conquer. One man killed sin and death. Christ Jesus, the God-man forever, God Almighty, God the Son, handed over by the plan and predetermined foreknowledge of God, crucified, killed, and then risen, risen from the dead. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Life is short. Death is sure. Sin is the cause, and Christ is the cure. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Do you believe that? Look to Christ. God is in control of everything. Believers, sometimes you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel because you forget that Jesus, the light, walks with you through the tunnel. Yield to Christ in self-control, fruit of the Spirit. Your control issues are gonna dissipate as you worship God and obey Jesus Christ and walk in freedom from a biblical perspective. Just live in light of dying. You're frustrated, you're sad, you're angry, you're disappointed, you're overwhelmed, everything is breaking, everything is falling apart, you wonder why you should even bother with work or relationships or family or even your faith. You were made for a better world. Let your weariness with this life drive you to Jesus, the only one who can satisfy your soul. 
If our earthly cities could satisfy, we would be justified seeking our security there, but only God satisfies. Let me close with Hebrews 13, 14 through 16. Here, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, through Christ then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. My friends, we are not in control, but we trust the sovereign God who is. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you, we thank you, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you are in control. We, we commit our lives to you, Lord. We commit your church to you. We, Lord, you're in control of the whole world. And we pray, Lord, that you would be honored, that you would be praised, that many would come to faith in Christ and put their hope in him. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about grace, please visit our website at graceorange.org.